Welcome back to The Sandlot, nine minutes at a time. If you're keeping score at home, our title is a slight lie today, but like a very slight lie involving credits. So please, I don't at me. I mean, do, because I like talking to listeners, but don't about that. I am one of your hosts, Tierney Steele, once again joined by Rachel Mummert. Hello. And we have two wonderful guests today that I got to know talking about Bull Durham. We have the host of Bull Durham Minute and Locked On MLB podcast, Sully. Hey, Tierney, how you doing? I feel like there should be more to your name, but you said, please call me Sully, and I have faithfully since. <laughs> All right, well, my full name is Paul Francis Sullivan, but that's, uh, you know, let's just, let's just call a spade and spade and call me Sully. Yeah. Also, the podcast socialite herself and comedian, Alice Lauren. Hi, how are you? So you guys are here for our grand finale. Woo! I feel like there should be confetti, but there's not. Just welcome to our podcast. (laughs) This is the end of the movie. It starts with Squints justly being (laughs) ragged on by his friends Mm -hmm. for telling them they couldn't possibly knock on the door and ask the owner (laughs) of the dog to get the ball back. Oh, so ever long ago. And it ends with the the end, the credits, the end. We get, we're going to get to go to Dodger Stadium today, but uh, we start still on the porch. And it just really brought back some memories. I'll, I'll ask you guys about the movie as a whole, but I first want to know if anyone else, maybe this is where I grew up. You know, I lived in a two-family house with my grandma. A lot of her friends visited. Visiting an old person's house for the first time. Yes. There's like a very specific feeling and smell to walking through that porch that I could feel radiating out of my television mm, okay. screen. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like there was probably some hard candy in a little bowl at some Definitely. point there. <laughs> some worthy There's little strawberry yeah. ones. Yeah. I had that thought too. Yeah, the strawberry ones. <laughs> you know, the, that dreaded feel. I mean, like I was a nice kid and everything like that. And so I used to sit very politely, but there was... You know, there was that sense of, oh, my God, how long am I going to be sitting in this room? <laughs> and also just the sense of, like, you want to turn the TV on. It's inevitably this gigantic wooden TV. That has that, to warm up. Yeah, it's to warm up there. You know, but, like, I, I, I remember there would be times, like, there would be a picture or something on the wall I would ask about. But, like, if you don't have that connection, boy, oh, boy, this is, this is going to be a long haul. This room they walk into is the best case scenario because uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, had, oh, yeah. I had a great uncle who had traveled the world. And so visiting his house, it was like, oh, cool, let's just talk about the stuff on your walls. And this is a house where that works. I, I do have to say it gave me major vibes thinking about Annie's house from Boulder. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought this. I, that's on my notes that this is a version of Annie's house where they have the shrines and the pictures and everything. It's, 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 it's a less it's sexy version of Annie's shrine, <laughs> at least yeah. as far as we know. But I assume someone helped him decorate, I'll just say, trying to tiptoe around the obvious question that someone else Mrs. must have Merle? been there. You know, if I was in a, I, I happened because I, ever since I was a young kid, I knew a lot about baseball history. So mm-hmm. I could talk about baseball with older people if they were big baseball fans. If they weren't, I was screwed. I just was host. <laughs> I was absolutely host. Or old movies. I could talk about, even as a kid, I liked, like, some old movies. So I, I could get, but a lot of times it's like, how much longer do we have to sit here? Uh. <laughs> well, so Smalls doesn't know much about baseball at the beginning of this movie. And nope. I, 
I adore how proud Smalls is that he knows Babe Ruth's full name. Yeah. Yeah. George said this. George Herman Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, sweetie, you learned. You know who that is now. <laughs> I love that when, when it's revealed. I, mean, I know we're skipping around a little bit. I love it when it's revealed that James Earl Jones has a connection with Babe Ruth beyond just a fan. And he says, George signed this. It's sort of like, he doesn't call him Babe. He calls him George. Yeah. And according to Ken Burns' baseball, uh, his close friends called him George. And so there's this little, if you know that little kind of detail about him, it's implying that the two of them were close. And Babe Ruth had a reputation for being very close to a lot of the Negro Leaguers. Okay. He played in barnstorming with the Negro Leaguers. Mm. Uh, There was a lot of people who taunted Babe Ruth with the N-word because he had very thick lips. And they said, you look... Right, I forgot about that. But there are a lot of pictures of of Ruth with African American fans in the twenties and thirties that he played alongside them, did barnstorming, did, did mm-hmm. exhibition games against Negro League teams and everything. And so he had a large black following during that period of time there, and he had and, and a, a sense of respect for what the was happening in the Negro Leagues at the time. I really like whoever, I I should have looked up the set decorator as I say this. This is my freaking podcast. What am I doing? But the set decoration here was really well chosen of, because I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, Milwaukee Braves. And then he goes across the room and you're seeing different Braves stuff. It's like, okay, like they didn't just grab a bunch of baseball stuff. They, in their mind, had a whole career in for this guy. Yeah. And decorated accordingly. So they did a great job. And I think it is a nice thing that it shows that he did really know the guy. But also, it's James Earl Jones. And if you have a chance for James Earl Jones to bellow the word George, just rolling that R across the room, (laughs) you're going to take it. And it's the glee with which he plays this role. Because we've mentioned, you know, James Earl Jones, this is not what he's famous for. He's got some bigger roles than Mr. Myrtle in his back pocket, but the glee with which he says, you're dead where you stand. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And just how how much fun he is having throughout this scene. I mean, when Benny's like, well, that was really signed by Babe Ruth. He's like, you idiot kid, look at my room. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) One thing that reminded me of is he, he has a similar kind of delivery in Field of Dreams when Kevin Costner is at his home in Boston and at one point he says, like, you're seeing a whole team of psychiatrists, aren't you? And then he says, <laughs> he said, are you comfortable? Do you want some cookies? Oh, my God. And, and, and later Kevin Costner says, if I tell you, you'll think I'm crazy. He said, I already think you're crazy. Tell me. Yep. <laughs> and there's a, that, that, sort of, that sort of sly humor that he has in there, I think, is really, really wonderful. And he seems to he seems to be having fun. A lot of times you see older actors when they're when they show up to be the prestigious name in the movie. Mm-hmm. They sometimes they did what? And how many d- one scene that they did in like one day. Yeah, it's probably they, <laughs> the maximum two days in James Earl Jones's life was spent on this movie. <laughs> I think that that they they have fun with it, and it's it's a wonderful. You know, he's able to play this. He gets a great speech. He gets a couple of funny lines. And I'll tell you something: if there there was an there were some old people on my street that I grew up on in Massachusetts. If there was an old person there whose house was filled with baseball memorabilia and they said, come by and talk baseball with me once a week, I would have asked a genie for that in our neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what, to be able to hear James Earl Jones's voice and talk about, you know, being alongside Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and everything. Yeah, that would have been, uh, I would have loved that. And, and like Annie's, I'll be quiet in a minute, but like Annie's home, yeah. 
I wanted to spend a minute or two just looking at his wall. Yes. Mm, yeah. Every time it like cut to a different part of the wall, I'm like, okay, stop. What's on this one? <laughs> also, perfect old person visiting though, please note that Mr. Myrtle is drinking tea, not coffee out of that mug. There's the tea bag string hanging out. Yep. So I was just like, you're just every old person. I don't understand. It is infuriating to me. That this man has not been sitting on his porch listening to the boys playing baseball for the th- their entire lives. Yeah. That is that is that is some movie needed that to happen for the script BS because there's no way he would not have been listening to the games happening essentially exactly. in his backyard his entire time. Yeah. I do imagine, this is my total, my own headcanon, that perhaps there was a Mrs. Myrtle and, you know, sometimes when people are alone in life and they just kind of introvert to a point that's not healthy. And so, but like the baseball is right there and he clearly wants the baseball. <laughs> so I don't understand other than the purposes of this film, why why this is a thing. The other thing that I thought this scene, uh, just to completely ruin it for everyone, is he goes, look at that stuff. And I immediately, this is showing my generation, went, isn't it neat? What did you think my collection's complete? And so I think maybe by the time this episode airs, I will have to have made a video edit of uh, Heart of Your World, but with uh, the baseball stuff. You, you gotta cut like some Mufasa into there too, you know. Oh my Ooh, god. there you go. One day Mufasa. all of this will be yours. <laughs> oh my god, yes. And it is. Oh my god, I had the most depressing thought. It's it's way at the end, but I was like, oh my god, that means Mr. Myrtle's dead because he has all three balls again at the end. Anyway, that's oh, geez, that's skipping yeah. ahead. Oh. But uh, sorry, just to bring it back. Oh, I know what'll cheer us up. Let's talk about the fact that he's blind. <laughs> he got blind by a hit to the head too. To the not head. like oh not God. like diabetes blind or guy. age catching him. You know, no. It's like yeah. smalls almost. Rachel, do you remember what pitch hit Mr. Myrtle? Is it a line drive? No, it's a high fast one. High fast one. Okay. She likes the high ones. Can't hit him, can't mm. lay off him. Same pitch. <laughs> Two different baseball movies. I did not do much research into the baseball stuff because I knew Sully was going to be on this show. So I was like, all right, 1927 Yankees murderers row. Yeah, he'll, he'll know about that stuff. By the legend, that's considered to be like one of the greatest teams in baseball history. I have a hard time calling any team that existed pre-integration the greatest team of all time. But uh, of its era, the 19. 19- 27 Yankees, they played a hundred and 40, what was their, what was their record? They played 154 games and they won 110 of them. And they had several Hall of Famers on the team. Obviously, Ruth and Gehrig were the two famous ones. And that was the year that Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs. No one else, just a few years prior, 29 home runs was the record and he hit 60. Lou Gehrig somehow drove in 173 runs and you just go up and down. Tony Lazari, Mark Koenig, Bob Musil, Earl Combs was just, it was like, it was called Murder's Row because the lineup was their number seven hitter would have been any other team's superstar. And they, they went on to sweep a very good Pirates team in the World Series. And they, that's been kind of the shorthand 
The 27 Yankees has been, for a long time, was a shorthand for the greatest team ever assembled. At least the greatest white team ever assembled. Yeah. And it's interesting that it was so revered by someone who would have been following them in the days of segregation. But the, but that was how revered Ruth was. You know, the way people talk. Basketball fans talk about Jordan now. And years and years and decades after he's retired, people can't shut up about him. Well, that's what Babe Ruth was in baseball. In fact, one of the the step up from Little League was Babe Ruth League. Mm-hmm. The Babe Ruth of means you're the best of it. <laughs> and he still you know, has this uh, effect on the game. So, you know, it. that's... I will say one thing. There's something that right at the very beginning of the movie that rubs me the wrong way. Okay. When they have, they say, they're talking about the legend of Babe Ruth's called shot. I'm very particular about baseball things being accurate. And they said that Babe Ruth came up in the 1932 World Series, bottom of the ninth, down by one, two outs, and he called the pitch. First of all, it wasn't the bottom of the ninth. The game was played in Chicago. It was the visiting <laughs> team. It was the fifth inning not the bottom of the ninth. And there it's been it's this thing of lore that did he call the shot? No one knows for sure. Uh yeah. because there's no film of it. There's film of the game, but they used to stop the cameras in between the pitch because they only have enough, they, it wasn't videotape, it was expensive film. And they didn't know that this this moment was gonna happen. The people who were there basically said the Cubs fans and the players were taunting him, he was taunting back, and he probably I'm gonna hit one right out to center field. You know, yes. like the, the the pitcher said he never stood and pointed. The pitcher, whose name was Charlie Root, and by the way, this I'm doing from memory, but <laughs> the uh, the pitcher named Charlie Root said he never stood and pointed because if he did, he would have thrown at his head. Ruth did hit a home run, and then Gehrig hit a home run. They lifted Root because clearly they didn't have it. I just think that there's so much sort of, it's evolved into this legend that why do you have to, you don't have to add to the legend by saying it was a bottom of the ninth walk-off home run. <laughs> he, he was the visiting team. It can't be a walk-off home run when he's the visiting team. Sully, the beauty of these podcasts is we get to make our reasonings, and it is that one of these kids was given bad information, and because it's such a big legend, it's like, yeah, bottom of the ninth, yeah, sure, that seems oh, like yeah. a time it would yeah. happen. Here's what going against that. I do understand this is a film that has an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Where, like, the dog is, like, gigantic and over the fence at some times, <laughs> and the fireworks being set off during Fourth of July are so bright they can illuminate a baseball game. You know, the vomit, the <laughs> all the stuff that happens is, is it, it's obviously being told with a flourish of an exaggerating 10-year-old boy. I get that. It's just that they seem to make an effort to make the baseball stuff somewhat grounded in reality. Right to the detail that the hat that Bertrand is wearing is a Los Ah, Angeles... That's a Los Angeles (laughs) Angels hat from that era, which was the first year, the the second year, sorry, that the Angels were an American League team. They used to be a minor league team, then they expanded, became a major league team. And they had the LA with a halo on the top of the hat. That was the time. So they had all these details they got right, Mm -hmm. but then you begin the movie with a wrong detail detail and it just feels like it feels funny there's no need to build on that legend it's already a legend it would have been easy enough to leave that out i'll I'll ask you one more baseball thing and then we'll talk movie in general 
Was there a player that this reminded you of? Because the minute he said he was hit by pitch and wham, lights out, I thought of Tony Canigliaro. But that might be my bias Mm. sitting here in Boston. Well, I think there's, and I'm going to connect this to another movie too. I think there was a slight connection to Josh Gibson, who was considered to be the best home run hitter. And there was a thing that people called him the black Babe Ruth. And black sports writers said, no, Babe Ruth's the white Josh Gibson. And so when he has the line, he was almost as good a hitter as I was. Mm. It kind of made me think that was, and he played, when you see the doctored photo, James Earl Jones is wearing a Pittsburgh Crawford's uniform, which was one of the teams that Josh Gibson played for. There's another connection, which is, and I kind of sort of wish they named him Mr. Carter in the film. And I'll tell you why. Because in the movie, the bingo long traveling all-stars and motor kings, which was a film about a fictitious version of the Negro Leagues, James Earl Jones, it stars James Earl Jones and Billy D. Williams. So it's Lando and the voice of Vader. It also is with Richard Pryor. And James Earl Jones plays a character that is loosely based on Josh Gibson named Leon Carter. The real Josh Gibson died just before Jackie Robinson integrated the majors. And he was in his only in his 30s. And he died. He was broken and alcoholic. One of the greatest players in baseball history. But I thought if he was named Mr. Carter, there would have been... This would have, that movie. It would have been in the same cinematic universe... As yeah. the bingo long traveling all stars and motor without making a point of it, but just no, sort of like but, no kid sitting there in 1993 is gonna like make. But that I, I wish they did. I wish. Or I wish they never named him because mm. I would have said, "Oh, wouldn't that be cool if this is what happened to Leon Carter?" Because at the yeah. end, he just mm. continues playing. But he played a Josh Gibson like character in that. He plays a Josh Gibson character in this, and you know the director had seen the bingo <laughs> long traveling all stars and motor king. I'm going to tell you one tiny piece of trivia about that film, which was a, a based on a novel. Barry Gordy from Motown Records was going to produce it. The screenplay is by Hal Barwood and Matthew Robbins. And the film was lined up to be the next film directed by, drumroll, Steven Spielberg. That Spielberg in the middle of Jaws felt my career is going to be over. I better line something up immediately. And this was being produced in Universal Pictures. And so, and this was a highly acclaimed screenplay. And so he was all lined up to direct the Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings. And then when Jaws turned into the blockbuster, he saw an opportunity to make Close Encounters. And so wow. John, so John Batham, who has the single most bizarre movie resume in the history of movies, <laughs> did this just before he did Saturday Night Fever and shortly before he did War Games. Anyway, that's the that's this is welcome to the Bingo Long Traveling All Stars of Motor Kings. <laughs> where we break it down nine minutes at a time. It's a wonderful movie. It's a I wonderful movie. It's <laughs> Don't a real tempt me. <laughs> it's young Richard Pryor is in it. Billy D. Williams, young pre-Lando Billy D. Williams, charming. It's so good. It's the music is great. It's just fun. If I could even, I guess, tie the movie and baseball together, hard thing to do. I guess with you know what you were saying, Sully, and then like fact, you know, fact wise, and then Mr. Myrtle's home. Do you think that this movie was really made by people who love baseball? And you know, I mean, obviously, there's the you know people who like little league people who have you know wonderful memories of of, you know playing when they were kids but you know is this a baseball lovers creation i think that's a great question because everyone around smalls is the players on the sandlot are his stepfather is james Earl jones is but he doesn't even know who the hell babe ruth is and he doesn't know how to throw (laughs) a ball so it's weird it's almost like this is the story about a complete novice trying to enter this world and it was the learning how to 
to love baseball is what finally connected him to Dennis Leary's character. But it was, yeah, I think that's a great question, Alice, because is this made by someone who's a huge baseball fan or someone who wants to be a huge baseball fan <laughs> yeah. because he can make oh, all these yeah. connections? Well, and I will tell you, the uh, director has admitted that this was inspired by a real thing that happened. I I can't tell what the wording, if it happened to his brother or it happened to him and his brother was there. They jumped a fence to get a ball back to impress the big kids. And like, oh, this is how I'm going to like get in with them. And on the other side of that fence was a giant ass dog. (laughs) (laughs) The memory imprinted. And years later, he wrote the screenplay and ended up directing the Sandlot. So yeah, that... That, to me, it, it reads more like a, a Little League fan. Although people can be, bo- you know, yeah, it can lead to it. You mentioned Smalls' stepfather. Is Bill wearing a baseball tie? That's or interesting. Is, or, I, I, he might be. It looks like it could be I know. someone on a field catching a fly ball, like reaching up. But by the time I blow it up big enough to be sure of that, it's too blurry. And when it's smaller, I can't tell. I'm going to throw that out there that possibly Bill is wearing a baseball tie because we have questioned Bill and his baseball tendencies. My other question was, do we think Hercules was named after George Herman Ruth? Oh, that's true. So that was one of his many nicknames. He talks about the coincidence, like, oh, the Hercules of baseball, and the dog turned out to be named Hercules. And I I just was wondering, I don't know, because Mr. Myrtle doesn't, you know... If it was George, I'd say yes, obviously, but I, I just was wondering, kind of, you know, survey says, do we think that? Because I know there are certain names that get attached, like I love Rottweilers. And do you know how many freaking Rottweilers on this earth are named Brutus? I mean, <laughs> yeah, like 50%. <laughs> so I just wondered if it was like, oh, this is a cool, strong name for my big dog. Or is this I loved playing with Ruth and now I'm going to name my dog after him and yes I hear you (laughs) sorry the kid is hooting at me (laughs) it's funny they would because they had the scenes where they they listed all Babe Ruth's nicknames and they never listed the Hercules here's why I thought he was a Hercules because of the 12 labors like there was like the the adventure you had to do all these ta- you had to do all these tasks and like they, mm-hmm. they had to do the nine labors to retrieve the ball the like ball. the suction thing the, oh, the, the the catapult building the erector set all those things were like the 12 labors of Hercules that's awesome I like that I mean of course those were Hercules doing those Hercules wasn't asking them to do wasn't he wasn't the the antagonist he was the protagonist yeah. of the labors but I just felt like there was I didn't bother counting the labors that they did but I thought there I thought subconsciously it was like a, a reference to the the Greek mythology. Ooh, I like that a lot. So we reached the end of the movie and before we talk about what happens to all these characters I have to ask I'll ask um Alice first, did you like this movie? <laughs> Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Had you seen it before? With I, I, this, I, I your seen, introduction. I, I, yeah, I've seen it, I think, once before. I mean, it's just fine. I mean, I'm not, like, a sports movie girl, but I think, you know, watching this, I was like, man, I don't, I mean, I've seen this, I've seen Stand By Me. Like, we need to see more coming-of-age films. I mean, there have been, like, a couple recently, kind of, but, you know, those kind of voiceover, coming-of-age kid kind of films, we definitely need more of them, for sure. I would like to give a shout-out and a complaint to Netflix for canceling the Babysitter's Club for television oh, show reboot. Right. 
which was wonderful and about girls who were not children, but were not teeny adults doing inappropriate things. It was wonderful. So, of course, they've canceled it. Anyway. <laughs> My dear friend, Kimmy Gatewood, who I was uh, did a lot of stand-up with, and she's one of the wrestlers in the, the TV show Glow, uh, oh, is, also wow. an, is also an Emmy-winning television producer and directed several of the Babysitter Club episodes and is one huh. of the nicest and funniest people you'll ever meet on the planet. They were wonderful, and I'm so mad. It's such a specific, it's hitting such a specific nostalgia part of your heart to watch stories like this. So yeah, I was just curious because I know uh, you get dragged onto a lot of podcasts where it's like, here, watch this movie. <laughs> Tell us go. what you think. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I was just curious what your overall impression was of... Better better than Top Gun. There we there go. Put that, put that wow. on the poster. Put that on the poster. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's the name of this episode, Better Than Top Gun. <laughs> yes. Hey, wow. Al- Alice, just so you know, I never liked Top Gun. And that film came out when I was 14 years old. That film was made with oh, me man. in mind. Yeah, and I definitely. never, I always thought it was dumb. I thought it was a dumb movie. Oh, and man. when my when my guest minutes on Top Gun Minute come hey, out, yeah. you will know. Yeah, why mine, mine just yeah, mine words. just came out recently. Yeah, <laughs> there's room for many different types yes. of summer movies in yes. my heart. Yeah, I'm so glad doing baseball. This one did not mean that the entire season was canceled. Right. We have baseball. <laughs> We Thank do. Thank God. We do. We did not curse it this yes. year. Although the minute he said uh, high fastball, I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> that pitch, <laughs> it's following us. <laughs> Sully, what do you think overall? I mean, I again, this is a baseball movie, but it came out when you were not its target audience. So what's, the first what's your time, overall The opinion? first time I saw it from beginning to end was yesterday. Wow. It came out in 1993, which is just before my senior year of college. Jurassic Jurassic Park came out that year. I was also this really serious film watcher. And that summer you had you had Jurassic Park, you had The Fugitive, you had The Firm, you had all these films which I was really looking forward to seeing. And then you had The Dazed and Confused and I think uh, like there's a, there was there's a couple of like Days and Fuse came out. There's a couple other maybe like Gas Food and Lodging or you know a much ado about nothing. Like a bunch of there was reasons to go. The indie stuff was the booming. indie stuff, and I was yeah. in I was and I was working on an indie film at the time in New York. And also you know I said this before with you, Tierney, when I was on the League of Their Own Man, which I I had only seen once before doing it. Um, and I and I like League of Their Own. I'm very hard on baseball movies because mm-hmm. I'd rather watch baseball. And that's why I love Bull Durham, because it's about the minutia. It's what I liked about, you know, what I liked about League of Their Own. This film came and went, and it didn't really cross my radar. And I had seen it. I had seen parts of it on cable. And I thought, this, I thought, oh, this is interesting. But I just never got around to watching it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. I know I'm not its target mm-hmm. audience. I know that I allow a lot of things to slip because it's an unreliable narrator and it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's clearly shot on a budget of $7.43. <laughs> they had some 90s stuff like the wipes and the flips that they had, which made me go, okay, we don't use those anymore. <laughs> it was a time. But I thought I thought the kids were all good and it mm-hmm. had um I liked how they didn't go for the cheap melodrama with Dennis Leary that he was very reserved. Just even like he it wasn't he was abusive or mean or you know, he just didn't have a connection with him. He was a new yeah. he was a new stepdad. Yeah. And they didn't go down the paths. You know I'm always you know, I always want to see Karen Allen. But <laughs> I, I thought, you know, there was a, a sexual assault at the swimming pool, which didn't age as well oh. as I think they they probably thought. Yeah. But I 
it was a very sincere movie that I liked that. That there was, there was, even though there were some parts of it that I didn't think worked, I didn't think there was an insincere bone in this film's body. And I enjoyed that. I was stunned to find out it was shot in Utah because I wanted to go oh, see, yeah. the, I want to see where do they, which town in San Fernando Valley they shot it in. They shot it in Ogden, Utah, for Christ's sake. <laughs> it captures its moment. Yeah. I think it, it it's an important kind of movie that that is a very very specific subgenre of films and that is the kids cult movie that mm. you have a film like Disney figured out how to was the only person making kids movies for literally decades it became people almost don't realize that Disney is a man's name it's it's a Disney film it's like how you describe mm-hmm. a murder film a war film <laughs> a Disney film it's a it's a it's a descriptor not not a name and so there are very few films that don't have that saccharin that are aimed at kids you have Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is one. You have the original Bad News Bears, which is would get a hard R now if you see it. <laughs> you know, a film like yeah. Time, a film like Time Bandits, which has <laughs> a which has a mischievous side, which has a naughty side to it. And then this film, and this film is I'm sure because it was a hit. It wasn't a Jurassic Park hit, but it was a hit, and it became kind of that little secret handshake you have amongst kids. They're like, you saw, you get this, okay. And it's almost like the gateway drug to watching art house films or watching like or, or <laughs> like i i saw uh, time bandits is a gateway drug to punk rock i think because it's like at the end the kids parents blow up i mean that there's that there's there's a meanness to it which is important and so the sandlot has that quality to it the kids cult film and i, I could at the top of my head i could only list four or five and now that disney controls everything for kids i think the chance of something sneaking through the system like this is getting further and more and more remote yeah It'll be interesting to see. I will say, I don't remember exactly when it is, so I might be misremembering. Maybe it was the aughts or the early teens, the early 21st century. There was a poster that every, they were called influencers then. It was everywhere. Every apartment therapy post you ever saw, this poster was in it. And it said, like forever. And I I was like, <laughs> I can't read that except as like, forever forever and and that like you said that secret handshake stayed with me into my 20s and 30s because it's like what do you think of when you see this poster do you think of you know i want to get my h&m top and go out on the town or do you think of baseball because this is gonna tell me if we're friends or not tierney i want to tell you one quick thing do you what movie this reminded me of I know that the easy answer is Stand By Me. And of course, there's a lot of things that were almost cribbed from Stand By Me, including the, <laughs> seeing them vanish when they're, when the, you know, it's like the, yeah. you know, the River Phoenix disappears. Uh, by the way, they also did that in Boys in the Hood, which had a couple of the winks to Stand By Me in the film. Oh. Because it included a couple of kids saying, hey, you all want to see a dead body? Which was kind of a little <laughs> wink to the, the plot of Stand By Me. Yeah. But this, there's an element of this film that reminded me of, mash that this was <laughs> that there was a a little naughtiness to it that they were the were this group that's together but it's also was very episodic there's no plot mm-hmm. to the film much mm-hmm. like there's no yeah. real plot to mash but it's it's about let's just hang out with these people get to know them and at the end they're gonna go away you know the other thing i like about that it, it happens with mash it happens with summer camp it happens with this movie it's just the people that are there right you didn't pick these friends it's oh, whoever yeah. whoever lives on your block, whoever's assigned to your unit, whoever shows up at your... Se- 
That's that's who you're going to be friends with. That's yeah. what I was thinking. And they don't con- they can't control when they leave either. Sorry, Alice. Yeah. yeah. Oh no no uh, no! Like that's what I was saying. I was watching this and I was like, man, like boys make friends so easy. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, jealous. <laughs> Just had to learn who Babe Ruth was, and you were done. <laughs> yeah. You're in. Alice, did you notice when um that first day after he hangs out with them, Scotty Smalls is making a little list when his mom knocks on the door that says things to re- learn about oh, baseball right. or to remember about baseball and my heart cracked in two and I almost cried because I was like that's the sweetest thing like of course (laughs) it's like okay here's what I gotta go look up in the library so that I can hang out with these kids (laughs) by the way I'm gonna go to I don't know why Arliss Howard was not the narrator of the film Arliss Howard who is a fine character actor probably best known for playing Private Cowboy in Full Metal Jacket. He, he later played John Henry, the owner of the Red Sox in the film Moneyball. And he's been in a bunch of other films as well. He, he's, a, he's a great that guy. And he plays the adult Smalls in... Now, Smalls is not an announcer. He doesn't have an announcer headset on. So is he just saying the play-by-play to himself? No. So, okay. Well... <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to we'll get to the game. Let's run through the other kids real quick okay, and okay. Uh, what they're off to. I love that we're not going to say the word Vietnam in this movie set in the summer of 1962, <laughs> but we are going to ship Yeah Yeah off to military school and the army. Gee, I wonder what Yeah Yeah did. <laughs> and then becomes a pioneer of bungee jumping. And Bertrand yeah. is stoned walking around Woodstock, probably. Yeah, he's a hip, yeah, he's a child of the sixties. <laughs> he really liked the sixties. I love that. <laughs> my dad said that was one of the most realistic things in this whole movie because my dad oh, was wow. really close to their age, and he said, "Yeah, there were those people who he's you know they would have said got really into the seventies, but there there were those people who just got really into it and they just kind of like disappeared from your life and no one ever saw them again. And this is before <laughs> Facebook, so you didn't like see them twenty years later. Um, yeah, I." I thought that was so funny that of all the things in this movie, my dad was like, oh, yeah, the kid who got really into the 60s and no one ever sees him again. <laughs> That's what he related to. <laughs> I think I'm missing something with the uh, choice of emphasis for the Timmons brothers because they become an architect and contractor selling prefab tree houses, which, you know, is a cute nod to their sandlot background. And then it's like, but they really became famous when they invented mini balls. And I'm like, Okay. I wonder if that was a joke of the time. What? Maybe, maybe there was like maybe, maybe that was a joke. Maybe that was a like a, a joke of the nineties that there were so many mini malls that were popping up. I it would have been like he started a bunch of Starbucks franchises or something. I don't know. Is it the same with the bungee jumping thing? Is that something? I don't even know. Or just like the pro- proliferation of mini malls is like repeat. You know how he always kind of repeated what his older brother <laughs> said. I don't know. But smaller. But smaller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, Alice, yeah, yeah, is the one that they dropped into the yard from above. So that's where the bungee jumping comes yeah. in. Oh, <laughs> that he right. was, you know, one of the first people to experience that feeling. <laughs> Squints marries Wendy Peppercorn, has uh-huh. nine kids. Good lesson to learn, kids. This is, uh, <laughs> I swear to God, silly. It's like Mash. The nurse liked it, so it doesn't matter that it was sexual assault or oh, abusive man. because she has a smile on her face as the helicopter flies away. So obviously, it's fine. So she was Lieutenant Dish. 
Wendy Peppercorn is absolutely Lieutenant Dish. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's that whole idea like, oh, it's okay that he did that. Because, you know, they got married eventually. <laughs> That's the end of Animal House when you say Senator and Mrs. Yes! Lucharski. My brain right now is like, oh, Revenge of the Nerds. That's kind of the thing. Right? Oh, yeah. Revenge of the Nerds yeah. is a hate crime. If you no, watch that. Oh, yeah, that was... Even- it's, it's real bad. The other thing is, I do like that they have, though, that he runs Vincent's Drugstore, which is a nice way of keeping squints around for the sequels. Yeah. Another person who left the neighborhood is Hamilton Porter, became the wrestler the Great Hambino. (laughs) Professional wrestling means nothing to me. I'm sorry. I know there are some people who actually know about that, but I am not one of them. Me neither. It's a bad play. You're watching bad theater. (laughs) (laughs) And then Kenny, our pitcher, played AAA. And one thing that I would never have picked up on before doing this podcast with you, Rachel, he owns his own business. He does a business. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Bill. Maybe he works with Bill now. We don't know. Nobody knows. (laughs) It's just business. He goes to Chicago on. He goes to Chicago on business. Business. He also coaches a Little League team. Sully, do you get to name your Little League teams? Sometimes. As the only person here who has had that experience? I have have talked, uh, I have really been angry at the idea that Major League Baseball doesn't donate uniforms to Little Leagues and therefore get kids hooked on baseball. Uh, I was absolutely just perplexed why they don't do that. Uh, But then again, nobody has gone broke (laughs) underestimating the uh, the uh, of Major League Baseball. But when... Sometimes Major Baseball actually doesn't want you using their names because that would only get young kids interested in baseball. And baseball will do do everything in their power to stop that. (laughs) And so we have had situations where there's no name for the team, so we come up with something. I mean, the Bears and the Bad News Bears was a name that was come up. That's not a Major League team. So, yeah, that that can happen. I'm always just dumbfounded. Uh, By the way, there's a league in when the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry was at its absolute apex in the mid-2000s. There was a little league that did have an agreement with Major League Baseball. Baseball gave them these uniforms, and it was in Massachusetts. And they, <laughs> some kids got assigned the Yankee, some kids got assigned the Red Sox, and the Pirates, the Braves, or whatever. And the kids, there was a group of kids who got assigned the Yankees, and they did not want to wear the Yankee uniform. They didn't <laughs> want to walk around wearing a Yankee uniform. They hate the Yankees. <laughs> and so, good for the minor league Lowell Spinners, who are, mi- who are a minor league baseball team in Massachusetts affiliated with the Red Sox. They donated spinners uniforms to those little leagues. So instead of wearing a Yankee uniform, you wear a Lowell spinner uniform and boom, right then and there. That's why you do it. Peace in the land. (laughs) Yep. There you go. Hercules lived to be 199 in dog years, which is, did anyone else do the math? Would it be 28 years old? Yeah. Yeah, 28 28 years old. I don't mean to, like, bum us all out again, but Mastiffs don't usually push yeah. 30. <laughs> I was going to say, that's especially that breed of dog, that's, I would think that's not no. typical at that's all. That's insane. <laughs> that's more than twice the average. And then we get Smalls and Benny the Jet Rodriguez. So Benny the Jet Rodriguez does have a baseball reference page as a fictional character. There aren't many details because this game is all we see of him. But it is there. And he's a pinch runner. He's not the star. He comes off the bench. Well, he does. He's a pinch running for the LA Dodgers. He does. I went down a rabbit hole looking at this game and ended up in a Nerdist article from 2018 by Michael Walsh called Was Benny the Jet Actually Out at Home in the Sandlot? It is a beautiful rabbit hole that points out that this man would have been 42 years old in this game. 
Pablo Vitar playing him was 26, depending on his birthday. So, yeah, 42 years old now. And they went into like, is he supposed to be the wily veteran who knows when the pitcher's not watching and that's how he knows when to go? Then they started doing the statistical probability of him being out and what that did to you know his war, basically. It was... It's a wonderful article if you're a nerd like me. So what you're saying is we have another baseball movie where we have a controversy about who... At home plate. At home plate. (laughs) Did the ump blow the call? (laughs) And they have close up frame by frames saying that it kind of looks like the catcher tagged him. Oh, man. That's a very different ending to this movie. Yeah. Well, then they figure this all started because they were trying to figure out what game it could be and why he's stealing home in this situation. Because- and why it's such a, it's a regular season game against San Francisco. Did this clinch the division? Mm. Why? I mean, because they're there. They're, if it was a, if this was a game in the middle of July, yeah, mm. they'd be happy. Hey, they'd be high fiving a couple of hugs and then they walk carry back. Him off. They carry him off the field in a game in you know yeah. a regular season yep. game. This better be to clinch the division. So they say it's not during the playoffs because the f- signs aren't right. And also the Giants and the Dodgers couldn't have played in the playoffs in 93 because they didn't yeah. have the wild card back then. So two teams couldn't Ooh, from the same division yeah. could not have played in the postseason. They're staying back hoping to turn a double play. All right. It has to be the bottom of the ninth because of what happens after he steals home. First, Smalls loses it. Also, the Dodgers dug out empties and they carry the jet on their shoulders. Short of Cal, uh, like Cal Ripken Jr. having an all-time career achievement, that only happens when a game is over, meaning he just ended a tie game. However, the entire organization does the empty onto the field so Benny definitely didn't secure a playoff spot and it doesn't seem to be the last game of the season. An early day game is likely to be on a weekend, so the best guess at a date mm. is October 2nd, which was a Saturday in 1993. That makes it game 161 out of 162, and at the very least, these Dodgers needed a win to keep their playoff hopes alive, is the thought. I had so much fun reading I, about yeah. this. This all started, I was going to look up what the crowd scenes were from, and dear listener, I didn't make it because I got distracted. I'm sorry. I don't know what game the crowd scenes were filmed at. Usually you can find that information in baseball movies. Not always, but it might be somewhere out there. Well, I look at, I think that obviously they wanted to have a, a bit of drama and they also didn't want to rewrite history to the point where Benny became the greatest player in the <laughs> history of baseball. But there's one, you know, the really interesting Easter egg about that final little in-joke cameo that happens during that last scene. The very beginning of the film, they're talking about how it's 1962, the year that Maury Wills stole 110 bases and set the record for stolen bases in, for, for the LA Dodgers. And Maury Wills was this uh, superstar for the Dodgers at the time and was kind of Ricky Henderson before Ricky Henderson. He was the guy who like sort of rewrote how stolen bases took place. And you know, then Lou Brock and then finally Ricky Henderson just completely obliterated every lapped everyone. But Maury Wills sort of revolutionized the stolen base. And when Benny the Jet Rodriguez is on third base, the third base coach has the Maury Wills' number and name. And when you look at the end credits, it says third base coach, Maury Wills. So they Uh actually got Maury Wills to Basically, now, Maury Wills in real life was not the third base coach of the Los Angeles Dodgers at the no. time. He very briefly was the manager of the Seattle Mariners and had a dis- – We was, don't we don't talk about that. It did not go well. <laughs> it was disastrous his time as the manager of the, of the Mariners. I had his son, Bump Wills, who played several years in the majors, was a guest on my podcast. Very nice guy. Oh. He had a disastrous – 
turn as a manager. He may have been a coach at one point. I don't know off the top of my head, but he certainly wasn't the coach in the, in the 90s. But that was there as a kind of a nod. Like, remember, we talked about Maury Wills, super fast Dodger, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, and, you know, Maury Wills is the... He was a, by the way, he was a roving instructor for the Dodgers for a bunch of years. And one of the Dodgers outfielders who he taught how to steal bases, Tierney, mm-hmm. Dave Roberts who went on to lead the charge when the Red Sox had the greatest comeback of all time in 2004. I'm looking at a picture of him stealing a base right now. <laughs> and, uh, and as people who follow me know, I cannot do a podcast without bringing up the 2004 World Series. Well, I, I'm sorry. I got distracted for a moment. My my eyes teared up thinking about the Dodgers outfield and people in the Dodgers outfield now who should be Red Sox but are not and are still wonderful. We love you. We love you. I had to rename my fantasy team because he was it was oh, let the man. Mookie win for many, many years, and now it it is not let the Mookie win anymore because I would like the Red Sox to win. My friend Melissa, <laughs> who I can't, who I keep having to remind myself that you don't know tyranny because you're very similar, cut from very similar cloth. Even she, rabid Red Sox fan, living in Texas. Her dog is named Mookie. Mm-hmm. She named her GD dog Mookie. And now that you're, I said, I said, you don't have to trade. It's oh, still a man. cute name for a dog. You still have to, you don't have to trade the dog to Los Angeles. So I wrote her. <laughs> it comes and visits you. <laughs> Welcome back, Alice. We were just talking about the game and Benny stealing home. And I love, I will say, love that Smalls is still such a nerd. Like, it's obvious that he's got his own little setup and everything. And, you know, the people behind him are also excited, but he is so excited and such yeah. a nerd and still sticks out from the baseball people and it it brought me joy uh, can we say the return of the hat from the yes. very beginning of yes, the film? great detail a great detail but i don't know many people whose childhood hats still fit on their head mine sure doesn't that's a little movie magic i think <laughs> Well, we're we're wrapping up. Literally, I just wanted to give a shout out to Mike and Pablo Vitar, who yes, are brothers in brothers. real life. So I said the Jet Rodriguez would be like 40, 41, 42 in this season. In the season, uh, Pablo Vitar was twenty six. They talk about how he was there during filming. He kind of became an older brother to the whole cast. It sounds mm-hmm. like when they talk about it, they really adored him. I couldn't find much information. This is all he did as for acting, and then he became a cop a few years later. He did pass away in two thousand eight. Mike Vitar did. This was his big break. He'd done a couple tiny things. Then he was Luis Mendoza in Mighty Ducks, and then he did you know a couple other things, and then became a firefighter. And it's so funny if you watch the reunion stuff with you know Marty York who played Yeah Yeah is like this buff weightlifter, and Benny is a firefighter, and then like him is just like Nah, I'm good, guys. <laughs> I like lift my kid. That's about it. <laughs> So, yes, I highly recommend checking out... Why am I blanking on Ham's real name? Patrick Renna. So Patrick. Patrick Renna yeah. did kind of a web series, a YouTube series, a podcast, a lot of reunion stuff uh, a few years ago and then throughout the pandemic. And it is... It is a delight to watch them interact. You can tell some of them, some of them are still really good friends. And then with getting to go to Dodger games and stuff like that, they've all kind of reconnected. And so it was, it was lovely. It was a nice thing to see. And Bertram was there. They found him. They found he him. not lost he to came the back. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts as we're wrapping up? I am just shocked that... It was Dennis Leary in that movie because I thought it was Woody Harrelson the whole time. So I am in shock. (laughs) 
I adore you, Alice. I adore you. You are unabashed. <laughs> you jump into these movies like, nope, no idea what's going on here. And it's so great. It's so great. <laughs> well, because I was going to say, I mean, speaking of not really knowing what's going on there, you know, this came out when I was like, probably not even one yet. The year after I was born, because I was born in December, so whatever age I was. And I, I wonder when you said, you know, it's a cult classic. So was it really big then or like it's one of those like, I mean, I would never say it was a crappy movie or anything like that. But were people interested back then as well and then it grew or? It was a hit in the theaters. Yeah. But it it was not a massive hit. But I think it probably found a tremendous life on video. And I think a lot, I think it, it had that sort of secret handshake quality on video that people like, like, oh, have you seen the, oh, you've never seen the, you've never seen the Sandlot? Oh, you gotta go see the Sandlot. Mm-hmm. And I think, and Alice, this was prime slumber party at a friend's house going yeah. to Blockbuster at the beginning and yep. getting a bunch of tapes to watch. So you would watch, you know, every sleepover, it'd be on in like the background. <laughs> and regarding the idea of it being a kid's cult film, it's the type of film like, what are you renting at Blockbuster? And they say, oh, the Sandlot. Oh, okay. That looks like a nice movie. And the parents don't know that it has this sort of sinister side to it. The same thing that <laughs> Willy Wonka has. For you. Oh, Willy Wonka, it's a chocolate factory. Oh, okay. Or Time Bandits. Oh, yeah, that's just that looks kind of cute. <laughs> yeah. But not so sinister they're going to turn it off and take it away. Right. Just enough to be fun. <laughs> well, I have had a just enough to be fun with a little tinge of sinister. No, I, Sully, bless you. I did not think I was going to get to talk about MASH nearly as much as I did today. And I love it so That's much. That's why I'm here. So thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, yes, I'll let Sully go first this time. Would you like to plug where our listeners can find more of you talking about baseball? Just a little bit. <laughs> now we're recording this just at the beginning of the season, like opening weekend. So I and have it's gonna be n- yeah. I have late August. No clue what the pennant <laughs> race looks like right now. All I know is that the Orioles are out of it. But uh <laughs> All the poor Orioles, yes, yes they are. <laughs> in order to try in order to win, you have to actually put a major league team on the on the field. You can follow me at Locked On MLB. <laughs> it's the name of my podcast. And um also check out on Sully Baseball is my YouTube channel where i post my in memoriam videos at the beginning of each year and i'm very proud of those that's a little more serious but it's kind of like the oscar in memoriam i do it for the the players who we've lost since the previous season and so i'm very happy with how they turned out and Alice, where can people hear more of you? Well, <laughs> Sully gave me the nickname Podcast Socialite. I took it. I ran with it. It's pretty much my <laughs> handle for things. I love it. <laughs> at Pod Socialite is my Twitter. Uh, maybe I'll post more TikToks at po- at Podcast Socialite. And yeah, just, I mean, I was on Top Gun Minute recently. You know, as I already said, not a big fan. Find out why. <laughs> Listen to that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then tune in way later in the season for me gushing and saying, like, at one point, I questioned if this was the greatest movie ever oh, made. Perfect. So it's a it's a whole <laughs> roller coaster ride over on that show. <laughs> I don't even think it was the best movie I saw that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Rachel, we will wrap up and... Oh my gosh, we can't do your tagline. Oh no, I know. I was... Oh, man. There is no s'more. There, there is no s'more. <laughs> I'll take the sea, Jackie Robinson, hit that.